fine, but you don't look like someone who can handle spicy food. I mean, yes, that's profiling, but also your skin, the color it is, looks what? like it was designed to turn... You are so pale, it looks like the spiciness would literally Kyle. turn you into a walking tamale, and you would die. Kyle. Yes. Are you telling me that it's, it's possible to be racist against white people? Am I a victim of racism? Is that what we're talking about right now? No, just racial profiling. We all oh, okay. We have, to, we have to draw a fine line there. I'm going to try this one more time. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Kyle. And I'm a victim of racism. <laughs> and this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. Uh, something that I realize we haven't been doing, even though we're, we're describing the episodes and doing the summaries everything, I felt like we should actually start identifying which specific episode we're talking about at the beginning. Not necessarily by title, but just so people know where we are. So today, we watched Season 2, Episode 15. Not going to reveal the title yet. Maybe we'll play our fun game that we used to play of uh, looking at the title to see how annoyed we are by it. But um, without further ado, we should just get into this. I have a lot of feelings about today's episode, and I think... Kyle is going to call me out on some of those feelings he threatened to. I'm wondering how accurate he will be. Well, no, it's fine. We'll just wait. I don't, I don't, I, I just, I will observe. So this might be our first split episode. Well, no, because we've had it go the other way before. I mean, I have definitely not liked episodes before that you liked. Yeah. I think this is the first time where you were mostly like, I did not like this episode. And then I pretty much enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I'm going to say I came around by the end. But, yes, at first, I wanted to smash my own face in with a brick. Um, and with that said, I should probably get to the episode summary, which is really simple, this one. This is, like, maybe the least plot-intensive episode we've seen so far. Instead, uh, what we have is Leonard's mom comes to visit, and she's uh, she's a neuroscientist and psychologist or psychiatrist. I mean, probably both. Probably both. She's definitely a psychiatrist. And so this whole episode is about the cold and distant relationship that Leonard has with his mother and how she is constantly psychoanalyzing everybody to their detriment and how through her cold analytical nature, she becomes besties with Sheldon. Meanwhile, Penny and Leonard both dealing with their own emotional issues that have been brought out by the mom's visit uh, then take refuge in each other and each other's bodies. And then Leonard's mom goes away. That's it. Which is fine. Like, But they don't actually seal the deal. Hey, you know, I don't think that sex has to be about the orgasm. No. Or taking off all of your clothes. Or touching genitals. Okay? Because if that is the case, I'm just who's saying. to say I've ever had sex? <laughs> In the in the continuity of this show, whenever, if and when Penny and Leonard finally do actually hook up, you know, full sex, you, however say you want. Say this in the least gross way you can. <laughs> however you want to qualify it, uh, that's probably going to be a big deal. So, did I mean, not happen yet. It was a weird, over-the-top kind very of close this time. Yeah, uh, it was very, it was very odd. But we'll, we'll get to they that. They did that weird sitcom thing where it's just two people just sort of like rolling around like it's a wrestling contest in bed. I mean, have you not had sex before? Is that not what it's like? It's not like that. It's not some... So I, let's just now do you this... made me self-conscious. I'm, okay, I'm leaving. This uh, one's I... entirely Nick. Fine. Whatever. I'm gone. All right. Let's Nick, all talk... talk about your sex yeah, stuff. Yeah, let's all talk about how I fuck. There is one thing that um, 
you know, I don't feel much of a need to do any of this in order. I think we should really freeform it because it was so plot thin. Um, and so I want to jump right into uh, a very brief Nick Hyde's oversharing personal story. Nick's oversharing life it. stories time. It's Nick oversharing life stories where Nick tells you too much about his life and reveals incidental straight details about strangers that would probably be upset if they knew they were being talked about on this show, but he's vague enough that it's probably okay because you would never be able to identify them, listener. But um bum that all checks out. I approve. I, you know, I didn't like the song because it was the song, but by the end of it, I felt like it was an adequate disclaimer, and I approve of that. So, about halfway through the episode, uh, as I mentioned, Penny and Leonard are are taking refuge in Penny's apartment. They're both hiding from the the ever gazing eye of Leonard's mother, and they get pretty drunk together. Uh, Penny ratchets things up. They're doing tequila shots together, so you know, salt shot and lime. And uh, Penny's like, hey, you have to do the next lick of lime off of my neck. Uh, lick of salt? Lick of salt, yeah, sorry. And then then they make out, and then, they get there, and then they're in bed making out. Um, and during this, Leonard says, oh, you know, if my mother were here, he'd, she would say that the only reason that we're doing this is because we're both trying to, like, fulfill the emotional distance that we had with our own parents. To which Penny replies, are you trying to say that I'm your mom and you're trying to have sex with me? And... This reminded me of a time where I was making out with a lady. I wasn't into it, but you know, I wasn't. I, I was faking the funk because I have I have brain problems, I guess. But I just couldn't commit. And so, like halfway into makeout times or whatever, I'm like, "Do you remember those Mr. Pretzel brand of pretzels? Whatever happened to those?" And she's like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "They're just not around anymore. I don't know. They were big when I was a kid." Was his name Mr. Pretzel? I don't know. It's like, why are you talking about this now? It just popped in my brain. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do about it. And you know what else? I later learned that his name was Mr. Salty. I felt like a big idiot. I think that was the last time I saw her. By mutual decision. <laughs> um, also, I thought the payoff... So, Leonard immediately comes back to, well, you're trying to have sex with your father, and I'm okay with that, which I thought was one of the better That was a joke. That was one of the better jokes, yes. Anyway, so... I guess we should also get into... Yeah, let's go back to the beginning, because <laughs> Penny uh, is the first... I'm just on this ride, if you can't tell. I'm not in the hey, driver's Kyle, seat hey, here. You know what? You, what no, hey, no. It's your we're, turn to talk going about something to that beginning. you liked or didn't like. Absolutely not. We Let's start at the beginning, man. I the, feel like we were having a good time, and you're already making this weirdly antagonistic. Well, I'm just giving the listeners what they want, you know? A little bit of, a little bit of that spice. I, I, I have no idea what... For all I know, like, the listeners don't want any of this. <laughs> I don't think they've ever wanted any part of it. We're, it's all just, it's we're shooting in the dark. So, all right, to go back to the beginning, yeah, the, the nerds are playing rock band. It's hilarious because they're playing rock band. That's the only joke to it. I and, actually liked Raj's performance of the Red Hot Ch I mean, I didn't like, it wasn't like he was, I just thought, like, of the things that they've given Raj to do, which are almost universally unfunny, him singing in a high, squeaky falsetto voice, you know, something from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, one of the better things they've given him to do. It was cute. It was nice seeing him be uh, a fun, wacky human, and not just uh, a super uptight purse-lipped, misogynistic weirdo. Yeah, so that was nice. That's all I was saying. Um, yeah, they do that. And so then, the, the next morning, Penny comes into the, the front of the apartment building and, and sees this woman, a stern-looking, red-haired woman, just staring at the elevator door. Uh, 
And Penny says, hey, it's out of order. And the woman says, oh, I can, I can read that. That's, I've, I understand that. She's like, okay, that means it doesn't work. And she's like, oh, yeah, well, I can tell that, but I can also look at this and observe that by the, the tape uh, on the elevator saying caution and the out-of-order sign have accumulated a massive amount of dust. And also by that, I, and she goes on and on about all these, like, Sherlock Holmes kind of details about it. For some reason, she comes to work with them. I don't understand that. Leonard is going to show her the lab. Yeah, but anyways, they're all sitting having lunch, and Wallowitz is torturing Leonard by pointing out in front of his mother how he's just really not as successful as either of his siblings. And so, uh, in order to get back at them, uh, Leonard reveals that uh, Wallowitz lives with his mother and that Raj can't uh, talk to women. And, you know, she breaks down, you know, oh, it's like, ah, two classic... Uh, examples of symptoms caused by people being uh, fundamentally afraid of strong female figures. Uh, this probably explains why you have an ersatz homosexual relationship, which they do. Okay, I knew you were going to get to that, and I'm excited because do you know what you call it when two people love each other and they're not in a romantic relationship? Friendship. They're friends. They're friends that love each other. It's not an ersatz homosexual relationship. Any more than that is exactly what a friendship is. Well, but if nothing else, that's how... Uh, that's So you're right, and in, in, I'll acknowledge, in real life, you're right. What's funny about sitcoms is sitcoms repeatedly... Tell me what's funny about sitcoms. <laughs> what's interesting <laughs> is that sitcoms have a habit of coding male close relationships that are any closer than, you know, we hang out and drink beer and have some tradition at a bar together as sort of pseudo-romantic. The most classic example, of course, is the odd couple. They're called the odd couple, implying that there's some sort of coupling, couple thing about them. You know, they uh. live together, they have a they have a lot of the inner person. The whole joke of that play and the subsequent show based around it and the subsequent uh, archetype that shows up in all sorts of sitcoms is that here are two people that have almost all of the identifiers and tropes we associate with you know, wacky romantic relationships and hijinks, but they're not actually having sex with each other. I think you're putting too much weight in the word couple. They're the odd couple there because they're opposites living together. They're a couple because they didn't want... What are you going to call it? The odd dudes? The the opposite fellas? Like, I think, yeah, you can you can put some aspect of, like, a more intimate relationship on there, all right? I'm not going to say that that's not the case, but I don't think anyone watching the odd couple is like, yeah, it is... It is like they're gay, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> also, I don't know. I mean, we make this joke about ourselves sometimes, so I don't know why you're suddenly defending it about... Well, yeah, but that's because I'm, like, moments away at any day from, like, saying, whip it out, buddy. Like, that's the difference. Wallowitz and uh, Raj, they're not they're not wondering what each other's dicks look like. It's all I wonder about when we hang out, and not necessarily in a gay way. It's just, I need to know what my friends are like. Mm-hmm. A lot of my other close friends, I know what their dicks look like. I know, you revealed that the other day. That was an interesting moment. Hey, I didn't reveal that. Our friends were asking us about our own dicks. Yeah, all right? I, refi- and I deflected, You definitely did I not maneuver by bringing that up conversation. <laughs> I'm still convinced that entire thing was like some long, you know... Machiavellian Batman style gambit to get me to talk about my dick. I'm, I, you were the one what? who took us to the comedy I, show. Do you think I am a uh, careful or thoughtful enough of an architect to make something like that happen? When it comes to talking about dicks, I think you are. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to take pride in that. I'm going to accept the compliment. And I'm going to move on. By the way, speaking of compliments, this motherfucker, this sweet man right here, what? told me 
Yeah, I'm just breaking the breaking the pattern of the show. Oh, this is one where it gets ni- more gay. One of the nicest compliments that I've ever gotten, but still very, very borderline gay. We were talking about maybe going to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show sometime. He was like, we could do it. We could dress up. He was like, you could be Rocky. And that is, I just want to say, one of the nicest things that anyone has ever said to me. So I'm going to, I'm glad you think it's so nice. It's just, you go to the gym every day. It's it it doesn't seem like a non-obvious thing to state. Uh, like, are you gonna be Meatloaf? You can't you can't be Doctor Frankenfurter. The Rocky Horror Picture Show makes you uncomfortable. You're not gonna be Doctor Frankenfurter. But not because of the like the transsexuality thing. Well, not specifically that, but I think the the blatant sexuality overall. I think it's it's against your wiring. That's probably true. Yeah, that's why you're not comfortable. So talking I would be with strangers about our dicks. Yeah. So I'd probably be uncomfortable in a gold Speedo, too. Yeah, and that's going to be part of the fun. Meanwhile, I get to wear a denim jacket because I'm like, hey, check it out. I'm meatloaf, I guess. You know, like, or I'm I'm so much more of a riffraff. I, I slouch. I'm balding. Yeah. It's just... You're just too tall. I, I'm, I'm definitely a side Also, character. in Rocky Horror Picture Show, even though he's played by meatloaf, technically his name is Eddie. This is true. How about this? My last example, which I think the show explores better than any of the other examples. This isn't so much about, like, a meta sitcom thing. This is about, um, like, they never even talk about it, but I think it's obvious, which is that Leonard's mother explains Leonard and Sheldon's relationship and how it is possible. I'm somehow completely spacing that out, so you're going to have to explain that. Well, no, they don't talk. It's not like there's a line in the show, but the running joke in the episode is that Oh, Leonard, you mean just as characters? Yes, that okay, Leonard's okay. mother and Sheldon have almost identical personalities and incredibly are incredibly like analytical, incredibly ungrateful, yeah. incredibly demanding and micromanaging. And Leonard has lived his whole life adapting to his mother's expectations to the point where he no, no longer even sees them as confining and manipulative as they are. So that explains... Why is he capable of living with Sheldon and being a roommate with him without going completely bonkers? Which, before we get too much more carried away, we should talk about the the mom and Sheldon relationship. Because that, in this episode, is the counterpart to the Penny and Leonard relationship. Where Sheldon and Leonard's mom get as close to, to doing it as Sheldon or Leonard's mom ever possibly could. Yeah, they I are. think that is basically the... They are so into each other, and I was I was really hoping that they were just going to cross the line and run with it. In a better show, in a better show, it, he would have just walked in and they would have just been doing it in the living room. But yeah, that's I mean I I hate that I keep making these comparisons. It's always sunny in Philadelphia, but I mean in the episode Mac bangs Dennis's mom. Mac bangs Dennis's mom, and it's it's great. And I think that's something that doesn't ever happen because it is so far beyond the line. Um, if you ever wanted to. You ever hooked up with a friend's mom or parent, sibling, anything? I don't know. Have you ever <laughs> hooked up with someone else, with a friend of yours? No, mother? but I, I did go once go to a wedding with like the goal of banging my friend's mom. It didn't work out. <laughs> so, um, whatever. That's so it goes. I have had mothers try to hook me, like who I felt like had like a weird attraction towards me, like try to set me up with their daughters before that's happened. Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> It is oh, weird. Yeah, that's... Mm. I mean, that's it's like, you're so handsome and, and young. Yeah. You know, you should really hang out with my daughter. I want I want to see my child consume the fruit that is too bitter for my own mouth. 
That's that's beautiful. Oh, anyway, at the end of the episode, Leonard walks in on them, and they're not having sex, but they are playing rock band. That's kind of adorable. Again, you know, singing uh, Any Way You Want It Journey, which, yes, I think it's true, is coded like the closest thing either of them can have to experiencing, like, deep sexual intimacy with another yeah. human being. Well, and the, and the conversation they have just before that scene is, is Sheldon being like, you know, I was nervous about it at first, too, but then I found that it actually was quite the rush of endorphins when I participated, and they're... It's very much a like, are we going to do this thing kind yeah. of talk? So. It's like, I don't, she even says, I don't know if it would be appropriate with my, uh, my son's friend. Yeah. And he's like, normally I would, I would agree, but we just have such a connection. Anyway, so the whole, like, even before that, they're just like, they're, they're like, why are we so comfortable around each other? We're never comfortable around other people. We yeah. have a deep and intuitive understanding. And the answer is because they're ident- like, they're, they're the same person. their personalities are identical to each other. Um, and so, like, throughout the episode, we see Leonard's mom is making irrational demands of Leonard that he finds very difficult to live up to and, you know, micromanaging every single thing and constantly being disappointed in him. And it's basically the relationship he has with Sheldon. So if you're ever wondering, how can someone stand being, why can Leonard stand to be Sheldon's roommate? Why doesn't he see it for the blatant, like, you know, emotionally unsatisfying thing that it is, which he does, obviously, but I think he's grown a certain immunity to it, you know, over time because of how he grew up. It's actually, what I'm saying is the show takes a very deep psychological stance into Leonard's life in the form of a joke, yeah. which is basically, oh, look, his mom's kind of like his roommate. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but at the same time, I just don't like it. I just don't want to buy in to what you're selling with this roommate part of it. It's like, it's like it makes, for some reason, I'm more comfortable saying that Sheldon is like Leonard's mother than I am saying that Leonard's mom is like his roommate. I don't, like, even though that is like a direct one-to-one, -one, I'm only okay expressing it the one way and not the other. And maybe that's some sort well, of weird thing I need to examine. I think so. It's not, and I'm not trying to, uh... Here we go. I'm not trying to, um say that he's like trying to get the same things from his roommate that he is from his mother so it's not like a case of what the psych what the psychologists and psychiatrists call transference it's not quite that what i'm saying is something that's more uh so this is gonna get dark i wish i could figure out a way to talk about this without it being dark but they've talked about this people who are who have been in abusive relationships are more likely to land in other abusive relationships again. Oh, tell me about it. And right. so the question is always, well, how does that happen? They should be more cognizant of the red flags than anyone else. And well, the best Sorry, go ahead. I started to say the best explanation anybody can comes up with is no, they actually, you know, being in an abusive relationship sort of you don't unless you've been in a bunch of healthy relationships in between being in a uh, abusive relationship normalizes abusive behavior mm -hmm. so that the next person who manifests abusive behavior towards you, it feels normal. It no longer feels transgressive or abusive. Yeah, and isn't it also basically like, not only that, but you know, you're falling into a pattern. Meanwhile, people who would take advantage of that, you know, abusers, they, they can kind of pick up on the fact that the person... Uh, responds to that kind of behavior. And yes, so it, yeah. that's that's also that's the flip side of the theory, which I wasn't. If you want to get really dark, then you could say that Sheldon somehow senses in Leonard a weakness or victimhood that he can take advantage of. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean that 
this may be the only thing that actually explains their their friendship up to this point. Because we've asked over and over again, over. No, again. it is the like I am arguing that it is explicitly the thing that is offered by the show. This is the this is like the show giving us so, its explanation for how they are able so to you're coexist. This episode exists not because well, not specifically because we want to have a laugh at seeing what Leonard's mom is like, but it's like. We really have to finally get to the bottom no, of why yeah. this works. This is this is like the scene in this would be like if you were watching a Batman movie and Alfred was suddenly like, you know, uh was saying to Bruce's lady of the moment, you know, one time when Bruce was a child, he fell into a cave and was attacked <laughs> by a giant bat. Not that that has any relevance to anything in his life now. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that you look like a bat and that makes him horny. Like, what? Alfred, what? <laughs> um Let's wrap up this part of the episode. We should get to our nerdy thing for the week. But first, hey, leave iTunes reviews. Check out our Facebook page. Whatever. All right. What's your nerdy thing for the week? I already know it. I think we're going to do a mutual one, if that's not against the rules. No, you can talk about the one thing. I'll talk about something else. No, 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 no. I, I want to talk about the one thing. Because I have a, I have well, a backup I mean, thing, I, too. I have, I have something else you that I want to talk about. Then you do that. Um, and I'll go back to the one thing. <laughs> On Netflix... Uh, recently dropped the new show, The Umbrella Academy. Oh, uh, yeah. Based off a comic book Based by Gerard Way, is that By right? Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba. Gerard Way, lead singer of My Chemical Romance. Yes. Which we won't get into. That's like, uh, My Chemical Romance is about when I was like, I don't think I like music anymore. <laughs> that was like, and I was like 20 or something like that, but I was like, I'm just kind of done. I don't like this whole emo thing. It's funny, because I... My Chemical Romance was I didn't I didn't start listening to them until like they were they were a little bit over the hill. I was in college, but I think like I should have been listening to them in high school. And I was like, oh man, I am now like I am I am discovering my emo phase too late. It is too late to do the God. thing where I dye my hair black and paint my nails black. I am too old. As much as I'm a sad boy, can't get into the emo. I don't know why. But continue, Umbrella Academy. You just never. Welcome to the Black Parade. It's a fucking great. The whole Black Parade album, fucking great. Um, anyway, pretty good adaption of uh, one of my favorite comic books of all time, which I'm not actually even sure if it's a good comic book. It's probably, uh, I mean, other people think it's a pretty good comic book. It's yeah. not just me, but it's... Uh, I've not read it, but I only ever hear good things. No one's ever said, oh, this thing yeah, is it was pretty. It was pretty critically acclaimed when it came out. It's very much a... It was an homage to Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, but it's also doing its own thing. You know, it captures a lot of the classic comic book tropes um, and sort of reimagines them in a more postmodern, 21st century friendly way. Anyway, it's about a bunch of kids um, who all have mutant powers because of a weird circumstance of their birth that's never explained. And they're all adopted by this one weird rich guy who wants to turn them into like child crime fighters and he does that, and then, you know, it flashes forward to when they're all incredibly dysfunctional adults, um, and he's died, and now the apocalypse is happening, and they have to, you know, sort of set aside their family squabbles to stop it. So that's the plot of the first arc of the comic, of which this was an incredibly... I mean, there, people talk about the Umbrella Academy, but the in Umbrella Academy was literally only ever 12 issues, like two six-volume comics, um, six-issue comics. Anyway, and so it was adapted into a show, and the show is ridiculously faithful to the comic book in a way that's, I think, only worth mentioning because it's kind of unusual. Like, 
I guess it's not a, that unusual anymore to see comic book adaptions that are really faithful to the comic books that they're based on. But considering how weird the comic book was, like that, it, you know, like they have a butler who's like a genetically engineered chimpanzee. So that's incredibly expensive and weird to keep in the show. And yet, nevertheless, just walking around, you know, with a British accent, like, yes, your father was a very complicated man. You know Is how this... those nerds are going to get without their chimp. Is there CGI chimpanzee? It's fucking great. All of it. Just, like, all of the weird choices. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff to do with time travel that they just keep in the show. That, you know, just never simplifies. It only ever makes things more weird and complicated in ways that I really appreciate. And also has a great fucking soundtrack. You know, the whole thing is sort of based on this pop sensibility by, a you know, an emo singer. And so it has all of these great set pieces set to, you know, pretty mainstream pop music that I really appreciate. So anyway, long story short... It's great to see a comic book show that keeps in all of the weird, like, family and social dynamics and all of the weird time travel whatever stuff. I highly recommend it. So, Kyle knows what I'm going to recommend. Yes, and And I would also recommend this. Children's Bizarre Adventure. No, you should also watch that. That's on... I don't know how long it's been on Hulu. It's on Hulu right now. Watch it. But no. Also on Crunchyroll. Oh, on Crunchyroll. Um, I'm going to recommend... uh, I got the weird feeling I've recommended this once before. I'm going to do it again anyway. And that is the film Mandy. It came out... Six-ish months ago? Yeah, I guess we should start keeping track of our recommendations. If, I think if... so. I think this is the episode where we start doing that for for this reason. But it's worth mentioning again because whether or not I mentioned it on the show, I did mention it to you, and you are very lukewarm because I like horror movies. I like B-movies. I like trash. And I feel like most of that does not appeal to you. And so... Trying to convince you no, that I'm this... an enlightened descended being. I well, like... you you say that, but what were your feelings on Mandy, huh? Oh, it was it was fucking fantastic. But it is true. Like most of the people who pitch Mandy pitches, like, hey, you got to see, you know, Nicolas Cage freak out in a movie and act really like yeah, crazy and weird. And it's like, well, there are I've seen several of those movies and I've liked very few of them. Well, I'm gonna so I'm gonna say two things. One is well, three things. One is that's correct. Two is that the movie is basically, I don't want to reduce it to being a revenge film, but it is that Nick Cage, uh, his character uh, is in a relationship with this woman, Mandy, uh, a, a cult gets a hold of her, bad stuff happens, and then he goes on a rampage. That's the whole movie. And so, yeah, it's, it's in that sense, it sounds like a by the numbers revenge thing, but it's it's so much more than that. Absolutely. And as far as like Nick Cage just being wacky and crazy, um, Kyle and I, after I finally talked him into seeing this movie, we went to a midnight showing last night, and I was like annoyed, especially like during the scene where Nick Cage is having his like massive meltdown, that people were like laughing during it, and it's funny. And I was like, I guess it's funny if you're like viewing it out of context, but like within the movie, he just went through this like horrible trauma and is this like venting like he's having this terrible painful cathartic experience and people in the audience are like that wacky nick cage up to his old tricks yeah i do think he is sort of he's maybe gotten a bad reputation because he is you know he 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 has a very signature sort of sort of way of emoting when he's upset but i will i am totally with nick i found it very he does a remarkable job of condensing an incredible amount of like trauma and the various moods that he cycles through in that trauma like there's a single scene it's only like it's only like a two minute long scene and he goes from like 
what the fuck just happened to oh my god that just happened to fuck that's the worst thing that's ever happened mm-hmm. to oh I'm so fucking pissed off and I'm gonna kill everybody like yeah. he, he basically like cycles through like the Kubler-Ross stages of grief while screaming yeah and I don't know why and but it's I, remarkable and I find it so believable it is it's difficult to describe because as I mentioned when I was trying to explain it to Kyle it, it is in so many different senses it, it's a it's a trashy kind of slasher movie but it's so remarkably done like the yeah the visuals are incredible the way that information it, it's there's so little exposition there's so much just weirdness that you just have to piece together from the way the world works i, I like i'm really bad i i do not have the, the critical tongue that lets me explain these things with any real specificity but well if, if you want to try it's just, it's it's an uh, if i may i think that actually uh, as the film hints at several places, the template it is most closely adhering to in the telling of its story, the archetypal underpinnings are actually that of... I, I hate you so much right now when you're using this voice, but continue. I'm just... I was just doing a bit, man. I, I know, just... I get it, I get it, I get it. Can, I'll go on with your bit. <laughs> it's sword and sorcery. Yeah? Wait, do you mean just in general, or... No, I no. mean in the... So... In the movie, there are several deliberate shout-outs both to the art and the pulp uh, availability in the 80s of the sword and sorcery yeah. genre. Which, That's what I'm asking. Is like not a specific thing called sword and sorcery, but yes, the genre. The okay. genre, yes. Because, I mean, obviously the movie is... The, a lot of the movie is inspired by a heavy metal sensibility. It's even yes. set in 1982, so there's a lot of like Metallica yeah. and Black Sabbath and, and Iron Maiden references. And there are animated bits that look like they are straight out of the film heavy metal. Right, and all of that is delivered. But what people rarely talk about is... Well, I don't know how often they talk about it. But anyway... Yeah, you don't know shit about this movie till yesterday. So. <laughs> but all of that stuff, of course, was inspired by, like, the the art and the literature around Robert E. Howard and Conan the Barbarian. Yes. And literally, this movie is about a person whose girlfriend is stolen by a weird wizard and his, his cult... Yeah, his, his and, acolytes. Yeah, and he then goes, you know, and he then goes on a crazy. He he slowly loses, becomes unhinged, becomes in touch with his primal self, and you know, get literally smelts a big fucking weapon out of forged steel and goes on a killing quest. You know, through the mm-hmm. through the dark under through the dark underbelly, the underworld. You know, this weird post-apocalyptic wasteland where he's just riding around. You know, with an axe, you know, splitting people's heads open and shooting people yeah. with a bow and arrow until he confronts the evil wizard at the end. N- nothing we say about it can capture no, the it, experience of yeah. just fucking seeing it. But it is a remarkable for all of the weird, like, it's one of a kind in a way that I've literally never, like, I can point at various influences, but I've literally never seen a movie that combines all the shit that this movie combines in the way it combines them. Like, nothing even close. Um, and I'm just gonna say I'm so relieved that you like this film because first of all, like yeah, he no, was really he was gonna break up with me if I didn't like this movie. 100%. I found that out. I found the differences that out. in our tastes, first of all, made me very very vulnerable in this, and I was like looking forward to having to like sheepishly defend myself afterwards. And then we get in, and I see you're like genuinely invested, and I'm just like, phew, that's I no longer have to look for another podcast, pal, because that was gonna be rough. I mean, I had a hard enough time getting me to want to do this, let alone the, the both of us. Um, and to find a replacement, ugh, ugh. so I'm glad it was it was thin ice there for a while. <laughs> <laughs>